0: The following message is by Pastor Steve Clark of the Evangelical Free Church of Salt Lake City. More information is available at our website, www.slcevfree.org. Let's pray. Father,
1: we give you praise and we say thank you for the fact that we just sang about that you sent your son into the world. Really, that's the subject of, of every text. That's the subject of every Sunday. It's the subject of, of all of our worship that you sent your son to redeem your people and to change everything, to put it back to what it was supposed to be, even better than it was, to make a new heaven and a new earth. Filled with a people who are to your praise, who walk in your presence and in your light, rejoicing and honor you day after day after day, on into eternity, to our delight and to your glory. That's what the Bible's about. That's what life is about. Remember a piece of that at this time of year, and we say thank you. And Lord, we ask You now that You would open up Your Word to us, that You would teach us, that You would guide us, Your people, who are gathered here and that those who are here and who are not Your people, and surely there are some, we ask that You would speak to them and minister to them. Do good to them, we would ask, Lord, do good to them by drawing them to Your Son. Meet with us now. Father, would You send Your Spirit to to be in this room in power. You are always present, but we ask You to be in this room in power, to renew our minds, to change us. Open Your Word up to us that we can understand it. I ask You to give clarity to what I say, that it would be accurate, focused, cogent, or that we would understand and be grown to your honor. So guide our time here, I ask you, Lord. Speak from the Scripture. Build up your church. Honor your Son. And it is in His name that we ask this. Amen. As we draw near to Christmas, today we leave our study of First Samuel and turn to a passage in the Gospel of Luke. Not so as to find a passage about Jesus. As I was just praying, everything's about Jesus. Cover to cover, the Bible is pointing us to Christ. So we we could stay perfectly comfortable in 1 Samuel as we have week after week and seen Christ there. But we are coming to Luke this morning to look at Jesus and Christmas from a, a slightly different and more traditional perspective. And... Coming to this passage in particular to focus our attention on joy in this Christmas season. We talk and sing a lot about joy. We prayed about joy today. It's quite a bit of our, our focus and our attention, which is appropriate this time of year. And it is profoundly desirable. Joy drives the human experience. If you think about yourself, if you look around at the world, it is not hard to notice that all of us long for joy. We seek it. We are constantly influenced by it. We are dissatisfied without it. Everybody seeks joy. It comes under different names. Sometimes it looks just like we we want to feel good. We We want to feel physically pleasured. Sometimes it's Probably more, more often it's more emotional. We seek to be delighted, we seek to be satisfied, we seek to find rest, we seek hope. A bunch of different names. It's all the same thing. Drives the human experience, and that is by God's design. We we humans, we people, were made to live enjoying. We were made to live in joy. We were made to live rejoicing. It's God's design for the world. And we sing at this time of year, joy to the world. That's not just a song that we made up. It's actually God's plan, joy to the world. So that's a good thing because something that we find that we want, that we long for, it it is wonderful to find God wants it for us too. And the question then becomes, and it's a huge question, how can the world find joy? And I mean lasting joy. Filling joy. Where does that come from? How do we find it? That's what Christmas is about and what we're going to consider this morning from the Gospel of Luke, chapter 1, verses 46 to 56. So we read this passage, the Song of Mary, sometimes called the Magnificat, after the Latin word for magnify, which appears in the first verse. As we look at this passage and read through it, you'll, you'll probably notice that we're coming in in the middle of the story. So, if, if you're not real familiar with it, just a very brief synopsis. We're coming in and we're meeting Mary, who obviously has, has already heard from the beginning, chapter 1, that she has been chosen by God to be the one who bears a very special baby. An angel comes and visits her, and, and she is engaged to be married which according to the culture of that day probably means that she's a teenager. She's engaged to be married, a man named Joseph. And the text makes clear repeatedly that she's a virgin. She has not known a man. And the angel says, you're going to have a baby. She says, how can that be? And he explains to her, this is going to be no ordinary baby. It's going to be a miraculous touch from God so that he will make her to have a baby. Of a baby growing inside of her because God makes it so by miracle. Which is not hard. He made the whole world. He can make a baby. He does that in her. She hears about that. And she hears him also explain who this baby is going to be. Verses 32 and 33 of chapter 1. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. This is God's own unique Son. God come in flesh fully God, and, the angel continued, and the Lord will give to him the throne of his father David. So he is the Son of God, and he is the Son of his father David. He is fully God, and he is fully man, given the throne. And he will reign forever, and of his kingdom there will be no end which is a fulfillment of a prophecy from Isaiah. This one that she's carrying is not just a special baby because of how the baby comes about, but because of who the baby is. Jesus, obviously we know that. God and man, a king. And she hears that, takes it in as best she can, and after interacting with her relative Elizabeth, who was also pregnant with an important baby, John the Baptist, Mary hears all that and responds to what has happened with a song of rejoicing, which is our text for this morning. I'm going to read the passage then. This is from Luke chapter 1, Mary's song, verses 46 to 56. And Mary said, My soul magnifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior. He's brought down the mighty from their thrones and exalted those of humble estate. He's filled the hungry with good things and the rich he has sent empty away. He has helped his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy as he spoke to our fathers, to Abraham and to his offspring forever. And Mary remained with her, Elizabeth that is about three months and returned to her home. The word of the Lord, Luke 1. It's a song or a, a poem that expresses to us, and here's the, here's the main point that I want to I bring before us this morning. Then we're going to break it in half and make two sub-points. From it. But the main point I'm working on this morning, I'll express it in this sentence. Lasting joy is found in receiving and remembering what God has done for you in Christ. Mary finds joy, and so can we, lasting joy in receiving and remembering what God has done for His people in Christ. It's the main point. I'm going to break it in half now. Here's the first first sub-point, the first observation I'll make this morning. And again, I'm working on the idea of joy, rejoicing, that comes from something. And there's two things in this passage that it comes from that we are to receive and remember. And I just, I just want to visit again. I got to come back to this. Joy is important. It's important in two ways. It should be important to you because you want to feel it. You want to experience it. And you should recognize it's important because it's what honors God. A people who are rejoicing in Him greatly honor Him because the rejoicing in God is declaring something about Him. Think of how our joy declares something about the object. When, when we say of some, pick something simple, a car. Yep, that's a nice car. That's totally different than, wow, have you seen this car? Right? Totally different. Why is it different? Because of the, resp- the emotion in one of them. The joy. One person obviously really likes their car and another person is declaring the car is likable. Totally different. God is great. Oh my goodness! What a God! Totally different. And I would suggest to you, God is actually dis honored by the emotionless dead declaration of His greatness joy is critical and you can find it and walk in it experience it and honor God with it if you remember and receive a couple of things here's the first one I'll put it to you in a command rejoice in the Lord for He has done something great Rejoice in the Lord, for He has done something great. And you hear the dynamic there. Rejoice in the Lord, for He has done. There's there's some reason to rejoice in the Lord. He has done something great. Start in verse 46. Mary said, My soul magnifies the Lord. That is, my soul exalts, lifts up, magnifies, makes much of the Lord. And we will misunderstand that word. Someone's pointed this out. I didn't make up this illustration. Somebody else came up with it. But somebody has pointed out we will misunderstand what's going on there if we think of magnify as in something I do to something small to make it look big, like using a microscope magnifies a cell. The cell's a little bitty tiny thing that you can't see until you magnify it. If you're thinking of magnify as something you do to make it bigger, you completely misunderstand what what she's getting at here. What's going on here is magnify in the sense of, so the illustration continues, what a telescope does. A telescope takes something vast that's way, 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 way far away from us and out of our view and makes it appear a little closer to what it actually is, makes it a little bigger, still not what it actually is in scope and in size and in magnitude, but a little more. That's what we should be thinking of when we think of magnify. My soul magnifies. My soul exalts. My soul declares God is great. Not as great as He actually is. I can't get there. I still live far from Him. But I'm I'm saying there's a little bit more that I'm getting a hold of here. My soul magnifies the Lord. He is great. He is large. He is beautiful. Next line, verse 47, parallel. Help us keep understanding this. And my spirit, parallel to soul, rejoices in, parallel to magnifies. God my Savior, parallel to Lord. So we see here our first little hint of where joy, of where joy comes from, of, of how lasting joy can be found, of how we can walk in, experience this joy. And we see the hint in the connection of magnify and rejoice when something is seen to be to be cl- closer to the, the actual scope of the matter when we see something about god that a magnifying happens oh you know a rejoicing happens also the parallel sentence tags along so there's not something purely intellectual going on here a declaration of man god's big there's also a rejoicing which is an emotion but it's not non-intellectual. There's a magnifying, an understanding of the scope of something and its goodness. These two things are tethered. Magnifying and rejoicing. Think of a meal that's put before you. There's food on the table. You get that. You can see it. And as you first take a bite and you taste it and realize... This is something. Wow. Nice. Magnifying is happening. You might even find yourself saying, Have you tried the mashed potatoes? Wow. And right along with that is coming joy. Because you are now happy to be able to take another bite. As as you grasp something of how good this is and some some new enlightenment, some new understanding, it's growing, it's magnifying, and rejoicing is coming right along, right along with it. (laughs) They're, They're tethered together. She magnifies the Lord, that is, rejoices in God her Savior. There's our first little hint about where joy comes from. It's important that we understand it because we want it and God deserves it. It deserves joy from us. So there's a magnifying of the Lord. Think about who God is. Throughout this, throughout this song, there are little words layered in here. God, my Savior, the one who is Mighty. His mercy extends to generations. Holy is his name. There there are little words dropped here that are that are depicting some of what is in her mind when she magnifies, as she magnifies the Lord. This is the God who is holy and mighty and merciful a Savior. He's holy. Which is not emphasizing his moral character. It is emphasizing his uniqueness. So, that, that at the core of that word is separateness. Holy is his name. She, she writes it at the end of, of verse 49 because she has just thought about something that is so totally non human. He is merciful, and He has looked on me in my humble estate. He is the mighty one who has done something marvelous for a nobody. Holy is His name. This is the God who is set apart, who is unique and distinct, who is so utterly non-creature. He is not a superhuman. He is separate from us, existing outside of the creation before there was anything, anywhere, ever. He was eternally existing in three persons. God the Father and God the Son and God the Spirit. Holy, holy, holy is His name. And He looks upon, He has regard for this servant in her humble estate. She's a nobody. Lowly. And he looks on her and does something marvelous. We'll come to that in a second. But this God magnified, oh, that it would fill your mind. This God, because this God is the one in whom we are to have joy. Rejoice in the Lord. Have joy. That's a tricky word. Joy. Let's try to think just a little bit about joy. Biblical joy is not quite the same thing as emotional exuberance. Not quite. Not quite the same thing as bubbly happiness or carefree lightheartedness. It can be that, but need not always be that. We must recognize that biblically speaking, a Christian can rejoice while also sorrowing. Paul says that. So joy can be grieved can be at the same time as one is grieved it can be deep and complex it can be light. So let me give a simple definition. I don't know if you ever find this in a dictionary but but if you think about this there's there's something important in this. Joy is the emotion we experience When we realize, important word, when we realize that we have what we want. The emotion we experience when we realize that we have what we want. When we have acquired in some manner something that delights us and we realize it. The emotion there is joy. And there there could be all kinds of degrees of joy, simple joy. Somebody compliments you on your hair. And what you wanted, what you were after was a favorable impression in public. You received it. You realize you got it when the compliment, so you're joyful. Very simple. And it can be pretty complex. A loved one who is a Christian dies. And you know she's in the presence of Christ something that you really want, really want for her. You know she really wanted, but you are also heartbroken because she's gone. So as you think about, as you realize that she, at the very moment that you're crying, that she is in the presence of Christ in all of His glory, singing in tremendous full-hearted exuberance as you, as you realize that there is a very clear joy you have what you want and you realize it and you are also then sad because she's gone that's very complex but it's also joy joy can be simple can be complicated call it by happiness call it pleasure call it delight satisfaction all those words are nuanced there differences they're all in the same general conceptual family. An emotion you experience when you realize you have what you wanted. And Mary here, and we, Mary here is rejoicing in God, and that's what we are called to also. My soul rejoices in God, magnified. Magnified. Why? What's magnified? Well, his general character, as we talked about already, but in particular, let's follow what she focuses on. You see it in the fours, verses 48 and 49. My soul magnifies the Lord. My spirit rejoices in God my Savior for, here's why, He has looked on the humble estate of His servant and done something. Something that's going to leave her called blessed forever. What has He done? A great thing. The Mighty One has done great things. Some of them we'll talk about in a minute, but one of them right now. What has He done? Well, obviously... Christmas he gave her an awesome Christmas present no not an Audi I put it like that to to get a little laugh because I want to also point out that there is a tremendous indictment on us all in that a bunch of us would love to get an Audi. Or a Camry that I'd do too. (laughs) Right? That's the thing that would really make this an awesome Christmas. It should break our hearts. Those of us who are Christians, it should break your heart when you look at yourself and you realize that's true. I would leap for joy if I found a no-strings-attached, all-bills-paid Audi in my driveway day after tomorrow. But that not happening, I'm not going to leap for joy day after tomorrow. Because all I've been given is Jesus. you see that? I, I'm trying to present this a little bit lightly to you, But that should stab you and make you cry. Because that's where we, that's where we live. Friends, that's where we live. If you got an Audi or fill in the blank, I mean, a computer game that you're longing for or the new shotgun that you're dreaming about or, or or whatever, if you got that, woo! That would be awesome. But, but not getting that, all you got is Jesus and That is real and that is tragedy. Tragedy. Mary remains flat broke, a nobody in a nowhere country. And the Lord magnified in her mind, she rejoices in him because he has done something awesome. He has given to her the Messiah. For her and for all on down through the generations who fear Him, wherever they may be found in the world, even you and I. This is what Christmas is about, men and women. This is a tremendous gift. The one that you needed. Because it addressed your greatest problem in life. We are born and raised dead in sin and in rebellion. We needed someone. We needed God to to intercede, to act, to change us. To change us in here, to change the direction that we walk. We are in great need and God in mercy interceded. Bless His name. The Mighty One has done great things for us. We needed a teacher to point the way because we are fools and we walk in ignorance and in darkness. And He gave us Christ as our prophet. We needed an intercessor to gain us access to God because we are wicked and an offense to Him and denied access. And He gave us Christ as a priest for us. We are under wrath due to the sin that is in us and He gave us Christ as a lamb to atone and wipe away and open up the heavenly place. And we are in need of a leader to walk with us and to shepherd us every day of our life here. And He gave us Christ as our King. A Messiah that was needed and freely by God's own initiative in mercy He stoops and gives to us. This one that we need. God looked upon a world lost in sin and in need of Him to act and He did. It is an awesome thing that God has done for us. Rejoice, Christian. Rejoice in the Lord because He has done a great thing. You have Receive, do you realize, do you remember you have received that which you want? Unless, of course, you don't want it. You should stop and think the Audi in the driveway versus how I would respond to no Audi. You should stop and look and say, my life lived walking day by day. Is it in joy or, or not? Joy in the Lord or not? What does it say about what I actually want? What does it say about what I actually think I need? Was it a Christmas party exchange, a gift exchange one time? And somebody received a canned chicken. That's how people responded. (laughs) Wow, that'll be good. A canned chicken. And as the person's thinking about what food pantry to donate this wonderful item to, (laughs) the one who gave the gift says, oh, look more closely. Turns it upside down. No, it really is canned chicken. Keep looking. This went on for a little while. Long story made short, if you looked very closely, you'd notice that the label had been repainted and you could just tell by the paint, not quite matching. The label had been slit, a gift certificate had been slit in behind, sealed back up and painted. Finally, this Receiver of the gift gained eyes to see and realized that he had a treasure in his hands. I would suggest that some of us are not walking in joy, are not people who live in joy because you think you've received just something like a canned chicken and you want to get rid of it. And may God give you eyes to see you have a treasure in your hands hidden in there, snuck in there, is a tremendous value to you. The thing you need. Your carnal eyes look at it and say, garbage. May God give you eyes to see that He has done something marvelous in giving you a Messiah like this one. And if this Lord would be magnified in your eyes, if you would see Him as... Oh, so awesome, so wonderful, and so great. Mighty and omnipotent and merciful to stoop to give himself to you. Then joy tethered to it would flow. May he open your eyes and may you see the goodness of this God and what he's done for you in Christ. Awesome is his name. Rejoice in the Lord. He has done something good. And the second observation, rejoice in the Lord, for he is remembering his promise to do even more. Rejoice in the Lord, for he is remembering his promise to do even more. Verses 51, 52, and 53 describe, in brief terms, an upheaval. A reversal of life situation. Putting the shoe on the other foot. And because Mary sees this with eyes of faith, she describes it as if it's already happened. I mean, it hasn't happened quite yet. The baby's not even born as she's saying this. Though so there's still time to come, but she sees it as a done deal because God has acted. He's taken the final step. Akin to how when, if we were to talk about World War II, and we look at the Allies landing in Normandy in France. When they did that, the war was over. It wasn't over, but it was over. What she's describing here hasn't happened, but it's happened. And it's happening. He's remembering his promise to do even more. His strong arm, it says, look at those verses, 51, 2, and 3. His strong arm scatters those who are proud in their hearts. Brings down the mighty from their thrones. He's tearing down the high and the mighty, the powerful, or as as, uh, uh, verse 53 says, the rich. He's tearing down the high, the mighty, the powerful, the the haughty, the rich, the powerful, the influential, tearing them down and in their place, overthrowing them, lifting up, exalting the humble, the lowly, the meek, and the poor is an upheaval of the world. For whom? On behalf of whom? Well, we have to notice very carefully. This is not just a general political manifesto. People have taken verses like that from here and from elsewhere in the Bible to take them and lift them out of their context and said, look, this is what God's about. God's always about poor people and always against rich people. That's not true. It's set between two verses fifty and fifty four. Fifty. He has mercy on those who fear Him. 54, He has helped His servant Israel in remembrance of His mercy that He promised to Abraham and His seed forever, His offspring, His children forever. This is limited. This is not a universal deliverance of all the poor, of all the powerless. It's particular. It's focused. He means she means something very particular here. It's an expression of mercy in the fulfillment of God's promise to Abraham and his children after him. He's now making good on his promise. Abraham, I will bless you and your offspring, and I will deliver you and your descendants. And to be clear, who is that? Was he talking about? Well, Paul explained it for us in Romans 4, among other places. Abraham's children are not ethnically defined. It's an important point. Rather, all those who are Israel are those who fear the Lord from generation to generation. All those who have surrendered to Messiah and through faith are children of Abraham, the father of faith. Paul makes it really clear in Romans 4. Abraham is the father of those who have a like faith to Abraham, whether they be circumcised or uncircumcised. So, you are a Christian. You are in this promise of mercy. Grafted into Abraham's line. Bless God because Abraham's tree is the only one that's going to be left standing at the end. Bless God that you've been grafted in. Abraham and his children are going to enjoy a tremendous reversal of fortunes here, 51 and 2 and 3, summarizing a vast change. He's remembering his promise and doing it. In his timing, in his way, What is this about? Well, think. It's about an ending of oppression, of persecution, of the lifting up of of the wicked and and the, the, uh, the perpetual underclass status of those who believe and those who do not live after the world but live after a God who isn't who isn't exerting all of his power to make it so right now. He's, he's letting it, to a degree, letting the world go. And we follow him, and we find ourselves at odds with the world. It creates problems for us. Sometimes, very, very physical, open warfare and persecution. Ask the, the, the Uduk among us. Have you ever asked the Uduk among us? I mean, they, they, are, they are perhaps less among us now because of their, their one o'clock worship service. That's in their own language. They can understand a little better. But they're still around. Have you ever asked them? And just listen to them talk about ten years of warfare against Muslim government of what is now North Sudan as it would come and kill them burn down their villages, deny them water, abuse their women because of the name of Christ. People who have been in this room within the last few hours and will be again in the next few hours have experienced that. That's real in the world today. Oh, God, they might cry out, would you with your strength scatter the proud in the thoughts of their hearts and tear down the mighty off of those thrones because we suffer. We suffer. And maybe maybe us here we're maybe a little a step removed from that in some ways. But you still know what it's like to live on the on the bottom. Even in this country today, it is hard to be open and clear in honor of Christ, is it not? It's awkward, it's hard. I hesitate to call it persecution, particularly in light of what I was just talking about. But it's trouble. You know what that's like. It'll be a relief to be able to live open and free to the glory of God one day. But beyond just an oppression that comes from particular humans against particular humans, we live in a world, when he's talking about an upheaval, it is placed Primarily in an interpersonal political context, but the whole of the upheaval is going to be much wider than just political, than just interpersonal. We live in a world that is filled with suffering and pain and loss and hardship. That's what it is. It's all due to the fall. It is all due to the fact that sin reigns in this world and the creation has been subjected to a groaning and a futility. And that is all going away. What He promised Abraham was not just that he would be on top politically, but He promised him that he would have a place where he and his people would live in peace forever. Peace all and every kind, forever. So you live in a world right now, maybe you in particular live in a world right now, plagued with an illness, struggling with a broken body, bothered by by systems that just seem intractable, and, and they are because nobody even knows how the thing got built, can't fix it. You live in a world like that and rejoice in the Lord because He has taken the decisive step to fulfill His promise to make it all new. He will stretch forth His mighty arm and cast down all our trouble, and He will fill us with good things, and we will sing glad before Him. Remember this now every day amidst life here for two reasons. One about you and one about everybody else. The one about you. As you remember this, I'm saying what I've said already, as you remember this, as you receive it yourself and remember it, the Lord magnified, tethered to that is joy in you, and you want joy. This this is this requires, man, I This this is probably the the single biggest fight that I fight with myself day after day after day. It requires that one engage in a war here to take captive thoughts. Because the junk, the trouble rises up all the time. I can find plenty of reasons to complain. I I am a I am a born glass half empty person. I complain, I'm negative, and then I complain and I'm negative. After that, I complain some more. It's really easy for me, and I have to take thoughts captive and say, no, He has done a great thing for you, and He is fulfilling His promise to do even more. Why so downcast, O my soul? Put your hope in God. So for you yourself, Christian, and if you're not a Christian, this could be you, but for you yourself, Christian, for you, there is great reason, great incentive for you to take thoughts captive and realize to remember that you have what you want. You have an awesome God who is drawn near to you to bless and is going to do even more still. But then secondly, for everybody else, because God does not mean For any of his blessings to terminate in the blessed one. We are blessed to be a blessing. And so he means to give to us joy because what does, follow this, what does joy in you, a realizing that you have what you want, what you need, what blesses you and will bless you forever and ever, what does that do? It frees you to die. frees you to give everything else away. I mean that at least first figuratively, but literally also. It frees you to give away your time. It frees you to give away your your personal preferences. It frees you to give away your stuff. It frees you to lay down your life to serve, to sacrifice, to love other because you have been first love and have what you need. Can't lose it. He wants to communicate to you. He wants you to walk in joy for your sake and because it releases you to live for everybody else. We love because He first loved us. He first loved us that we might love. So, Christian, I plead with you seek your joy. Chase it down. Run hard after it. And would you, oh, may God help you and may you yourself fight the fight of holding up in front of your eyes all the good that He has done for you already in sending Messiah and the sure promise that He's going to do even more. He's going to make everything new. Christmas starts that. Advent. The second Advent finishes it. The first one happened, the second one will. Trust Him and rejoice in the Lord always. And again I say rejoice. Let me pray. Father, would you descend upon your people? Open their eyes. Give them eyes to see the treasure that they have in their hands. Would you magnify yourself in their eyes and lead them to great rejoicing and give it legs that it wouldn't end in the next five minutes or the next five days, but do a work among us that is a renewing and reviving work that makes us a different church and a different people People who know another level of joy, another experience of joy. We need grace from you for that, Father. That's why I ask you to do it. Do to it my heart, do it in the hearts of my brothers and sisters here. I pray. Christ's honor among us, and for the good of the nations, and for the delight of my friends' souls. Here, I pray you do it. Amen.